Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal. My name is Rodney Hu, your host today. And as always, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Stuart Gandalf. He is the CEO of Healthcare Success, and they are a leading integrated agency that serves healthcare clients like health systems, hospitals, health plans, pharmaceuticals, medical devices, consumer goods, and multi-location practices. And so he's also a prolific author and speaker, and I'm excited to have him here today and share his journey and share what he's doing in the healthcare industry. So with that being said, Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rodney. How are you today? And thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Let's just jump into it. Why don't you give people a background on who you are and how you got into the healthcare industry and ended up with healthcare success? Sure. I'll do the sort of short version of that. I started off and when I was in college, I thought I was going to be an engineer. I loved engineering, science and math. Stumbled into a marketing class led by a one of the nation's leading guys. He worked my way to Addy to start off with working on client side, then fell into an ad agency, worked my way up to J. Walter Thompson. So I worked at the, with you know J. Walter Thompson at the time. We had this is way, way back when we had an $80 million budget, which that's a long time ago money. And so left the business for a while and I stumbled into this company that did marketing for doctors. And I remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. We had, I had Cher and Heather Locklear as our spokespeople. This company somehow works with private practice doctors. And I thought, this is a really interesting business. And I thought I'd be there for, I don't know, a few months while I was figuring out what I wanted to do next. And I ended up staying there to 10 years and I rose to VP of marketing at that company. But the thing about it that was fun and still to this day impacts us is that I was, I had never spoken publicly before in my entire life. And my five weeks into the job, I had to lead a seminar with a bunch of doctors and spouses and office workers for three days, <laughs> teach three days worth of content. Having never spoken publicly before, really. On the way up to the first speech, I was stuck in the elevator, so that was a good way to start. But somehow, because I knew my stuff, I wasn't that scared or nervous. I really wasn't. Maybe a little, but I knew I prepared like crazy over those five weeks, and I was just had a really deep background in marketing, so it went really well. And the um, so I ended up doing that a lot. I spoke for on, around the country for years, and I joked to my wife during that period, like we are, we've been married 25 years, but I always tell her it's really been more like 22 because I spent probably three years on the road <laughs> with the different things that I was doing. I traveled a lot back in the day. So that's how we started. We can talk more about what that as it relates, but that the, the thing is by interact, well, I can say this, what makes that all relevant is by interacting with practice after practice, doctor after doctor, whether it's like you really get to know them. And how they think and what motivates them. And my joke that I say a lot is I've been waking up in the middle of the night and say there's a neurologist, a gastroenterologist, an oncologist, a radiation oncologist, a psychiatrist, and I don't know, um, a cardiothoracic surgeon downstairs, keep them captivated and talk to language in terms of the business, we can do that. So that's how I stumbled into it. That's the knowledge base that began a lot of things. Nice. So you have this background, marketing started at another company and what was that turning point for you that kind of made you want to start your own company and go that route? It's funny. The I did that for, like I said, 10 years and it was a good gig. I got paid well. I traveled a lot. And there's been a couple of jobs in my life where things were just like this, where it was doing really well. And my friends are like, are you nuts? You never should stop doing this. Because at the time, especially before I became VP of marketing, 
when I was just doing the speaking, I was working with a group of other people who also did similar to what I did. And we'd be able to go work very intensively, lead a seminar over the weekend, fill out our paperwork following the meeting right afterwards and hardly show up at the office. So it was really intense while I was on and I gave up two or three of my weekends a month, but I had a lot of free time and I was making good money. The, I felt like the problem was, and maybe some of your listeners can relate to this, it's a trap because what happens is then you get old, right? <laughs> you're not constantly working on skills. Suddenly you look around and you're really good at something that the market no longer values. And this happens to people all the time. So I remember the, some things I did during the period, which I'm going to talk about for a while, is I was mentioning I did these group meetings and I was speaking, I was leading breakouts. So they'd be like six practices, 12, 15, 10 people. And then I remember the first time I thought, I really should do the big show, which was more like 100. And that's, that's much more performing. It's on stage. And I thought to myself, I don't really want to do this, but I have to do this. I want to advance. And then another challenge came along was to be VP of marketing during that period. And again, so I was doing okay the way it was, but I really felt like it was at this point, having done it for five years, it's another challenge I could take on. And I had all the requisite skills. So I kept doing the consulting and became VP of marketing of the company at the same time. So I had a dual life. And yeah, so that's, it was a series of, journeys to get to that stage. Then I mentioned, I left the business for a while and I felt like I had lots of these skills laying fallow in the fields. Like I learned, spent all this time learning how to do this and a unique perspective from doing this. And um, so we decided to, I left this, the business, but I decided to start this company as a hobby. And oddly, starting from this room, because now that we're on uh, COVID quarantine, we're back virtual, we started off virtually. And all this is probably relevant to you, so let's keep going. So we started off by um, thinking about SEO in mind. So we started working on search engine optimization from the day we started the company. I started a blog. It was one of the very first things I did. And that was before the word blog was commonplace. We called it a newsletter back then. This is 2006. Right around then, we went, got interested in Google AdWords and flew out to Google and conferences and got to know AdWords pretty well. And, and the other thing we did before this was really a common term, inbound marketing we were doing before they called it that, and content marketing before they called it that. So we with our newsletter slash blog was one thing. We also went to medical economics and I worked out a deal with them where we created audio CDs for a couple hundred bucks. We did a cross promotion and sold it with them. And we sold like a hundred thousand dollars worth of CDs together, or maybe it was 200,000. I think our part was a hundred. And then we also went to dental economics and wrote a column. So it's interesting. I never really promoted myself personally. I was working with this other company, but people knew who I was. At least some people knew who I was. And to this day, I run into people who, I saw me speak back way back then. So it, it really just grew. And yeah, that's how we got into this. And it's, I think it was because, again, why did I start my company? It's A, I felt like I was leaving all that experience behind. But B, again, that was like the next big thing. I never owned my own company. I had always been an entrepreneur at heart. I'm taking jobs that were higher risk and higher reward, um, had sales components to it. But I never owned my own show. And so I started this company with a partner who remains a friend. I bought him out a few years later. But that entrepreneur, I think, was like the last big challenge in my career. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Man, that's awesome. It's interesting to hear like the stages you went through from like where you found where you started and to the point where you actually founded your company. And then just goes to show like you have to have that ambition to want more. Don't be complacent with what you have. Like, all right, what's next? What can I keep doing? But I guess a, a question I have for you is how did you actually go about like developing your skills? Because it's funny that you said like you were doing blogging before it was blogging. You're doing inbound and content marketing before it was called that. And so like, how did you know that's 
what you needed to develop as far as a skill? Okay, so it's interesting though. The company that again that I was at was before by nature through teaching, right? So there was a teacher at Deep Bound inside me I didn't know I had. I liked teaching. I liked leading groups. I liked persuading people, communicating with them ethically. Another thing that was interesting about those workshops was it was interactive. So you had to be able, you don't just speaking, but you're interacting. You have to control a group, which believe me can be difficult sometimes. So with the writing part, Another joke I make a lot to people who know me is I'm terrible at a bunch of things, right? I'm like, I'm never be a good basketball player. I could try the rest of my life to be a good basketball player and I'll be best <laughs> average. But writing was a natural skill for me. It was a skill that I never took seriously ever. I never worked on developing it. It's a bummer. I look back at some of the mistakes I've made in my life. That's one of them because it was something that people, teachers and people recognized early on. And a lot of kids have heard this before, but I heard from a lot of the kids, I heard, oh my gosh, you should write for the New York Times someday. And it's like, yeah, 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 who cares? Uh, can you make any money? So the that's a natural. So the idea of being able to be a natural teacher and a natural writer just made that easy. And the funny thing is, even though I still write a lot of my own stuff or rewrite a lot of stuff, I have a ghostwriter. I don't write like 100% of most of the articles, but they all have my voice. They'll have my vision. And so it's just something that just came natural. And the, but the, when I wrote, when I write magazine articles, those are real, those are coming from me. And I wrote a book, I co-wrote a book with Mark Tager, Dr. Mark Tager a couple of years ago. Those are my words. Like I, if I'm doing something like that, this is, I write it specifically, but I like it. And it's funny because it'd be hard to do content marketing. I think if you're not at least average at that, because you can certainly hire a writer to do ghostwriting for you, but having a point of view, having a voice makes it easier. Trying to become a content marketer, you can certainly do other things, but it definitely helps to be able to write to it and to see that vision of it. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> nice. You've been doing this for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said, before they had that term, it's cool though. Like what's awesome is the opportunities it gives the, we were talking off beforehand about the healthcare content network, which I didn't even know exists. And the, it's been such a natural, the content side has been such a natural extension of our business. It's like water to fish. Like they don't know any other universe. That's why it's hard for me to imagine what it'd be like any other way. Cause we've been doing it so long. But the fact that it gives younger entrepreneurs a chance to start with no real investment. But see, I did that too back in 2006. We didn't put a dime of our own money into this company. Fortunately, we had a couple of clients that we knew from the past that were, we didn't give us money. We sold them some projects and so we self-funded, but we never took out a bank loan. We never did any of that. And then we were able to get it moving quickly enough to where it was self-sustaining. And so it's been like that since the beginning. So we have a million dollar line of credit that we never use. I think we used it once because they want you to use it if you get a line of credit because they want to make some interest on it. But it's paid it right back. But the idea of content marketing is so powerful. And like some of your listeners are interested in that side of this, I'll just say that the pick a niche that you think you can dominate your passion about because it's a lot more crowded now than it was then. There's a lot of people that want to be experts, but the let's find something you're passionate and credible and credentials. And again, I don't know about this part because it's hard for me to look at it any other way, but doing the hard work to become an expert, and I'll just say you're an expert, <laughs> read a couple of books. This was a period of years. We weren't faking it until we made it. We, I did this for a long time before we did it. So that certainly helps. And if you're, so it's on the other hand, if that's not something you don't enjoy that and you still want to do it, do it. Because another thing that's great about the content stuff, particularly the podcast side, 
is that a couple of benefits to that, I think, are one, the people you meet. Because as your audience grows, you'll get more and more interesting podcasts with more and more high, highly recognized individuals, and you'll learn really fast. So access is great. And plus, people feel like they know you. And Ronnie, it's funny, uh, we were talking about this too. It just reminded me of a story I haven't ever talked about, which is my, one of my teachers or professors in undergrad was talking about this guy who was a pilot who became sort of uber rich because he was flying around executives. <laughs> he was listening to them talk all the time. <laughs> so he got the inside viewpoint just by hanging out with these executives because he's a private pilot and flying, you know, private jets and he learned how executives think and he made a fortune doing whatever it was he did. So I feel like that's one thing that's great about the content too. It's not just in teaching audiences, but you learn a lot. That's why I like doing something like this today. It's why I learn something new every time I do this. And it's a way to get back to it. Yeah, it's awesome. And you mentioned something that really stuck out is like picking a niche. And like you said, nowadays, the market's a lot more saturated. There's a lot more competition. Everyone's putting content out there. And so it's like, how can you stand out from the crowd when it comes to content and content marketing for the healthcare industry more specifically, because like you have an obligation to put out valuable resources. And so you mentioned like working on your credentials, like working on becoming that expert and really focusing on something you're passionate about. And I think that's very important when it comes to content marketing, because at that point, it's, you're creating content based off of what you enjoy and the value you know that it can bring rather than thinking of it as a chore. Yeah, for sure. And it's a couple of things there. One is it's sustainable. It's just like working out. My daughter's, it's funny, my, my kids, my daughters are 17 and 21. And they call my, my wife and me health nuts. We're not really health nuts. It's just I have a habit of working out my whole life. And so my 21-year-old daughter, after being in COVID, it's like, okay, I have to be more serious about working out now. And uh, we're getting in better shape. And the thing is, like, she's asking for advice, which is awesome. And so we're just like, you have to do something you want. Like, don't force yourself. And I tell this to anybody who's never worked out before. It's like, you have to do something you like. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. You'll stop. There's no way. You'll ever, if you hate running, don't run. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to tough it out for the long term. So I think that if something you enjoy is a lot easier to do this. And then the other part that just occurred to me as you were feeding back what I just said, another thing I think that's really helpful is getting the voice right. If you're passionate about it and you really understand that audience, the voice is easier for you to get, which will resonate. And that's not always easy. So for example, you mentioned some of the kinds of firms we work with. We still work, I started off working with doctors and we still work with practices, a lot less single doctor look practices, though we certainly still work with them. But more of our practice or more of our clients now are either hospitals or multi-location practices or a device or whatever. And those are that's a different voice. So writing the blog is different today than it used to be. When we're writing for private practice doctors, it's easier because you've got that's when we first started, that's who we were working with mostly. It's like you've got a very specific voice you're writing to. Now when we're writing, we have Lots of audiences that we write to have grown, but I wouldn't start there. If I were starting a new blog or a new podcast, I'd pick a really specific niche and maybe grow it over time as your appeal grows. But it's really hard to be like the guru marketing guy. It's, it's just, that's too broad. It's find somebody we, and then you really understand them. You can speak to them. And that's what makes the content better, Rodney. I think that like for our blog, it's like the voice. It's just because you could do, I could do an article just like, any other agency that's targeting healthcare can do seven tips on social healthcare media or something or healthcare, social media. And that's, and we do some of those sometimes, but that's like, everybody has that, but it's not giving anything new. It's not, you can read that without healthcare, like 
anywhere. So it's not like it's bad, but it just helps the better you have a voice. That's what makes it stick better because it'll make it stand out over time. So I think that's really important. So like all the stuff we're talking about, having expertise, understanding your audience, coming up with a voice are ways to help make it more successful. Oh, that's awesome. And so if you are, like you're saying, these doctors, these hospitals, and you're trying to put content out there, trying to start marketing your company, your brand, what is the process to actually finding your voice and finding the value that you can put out there? You know, when I started off my career, as I mentioned, I've done a few things and I left advertising, as I mentioned, because I wanted to make more money doing something else. It was really (laughs) making me exceedingly frustrated that I was working at J. Walter Thompson and my print sales guy rep is driving around in a Mercedes and I'm like struggling. I was an account supervisor and I was struggling to make a decent living, living in a condo. It was Beverly Hills, but I was sharing a condo with some friends, just trying to figure out how to save enough money to make it anywhere. I, the reason why that's relevant to this story is I remember when I first got into sales through leaving advertising, I talked like I thought sales people should. It was like a robot and um, not like really a robot. I'm just trying to say, but it wasn't no personality. It was really the facts, give the facts, talking very analytically, very professionally and starved there for a while. <laughs> and what I found is that people having, bringing your personality out to the extent you can just makes it more interesting. It's certainly still say professional, but at least for me, bringing my personality out in writing. And so when I write stuff, especially if I'm personally writing it, sometimes it looks like anybody else's, but a lot of times it has that sort of voice the way I'm talking to you. It's like people can hear that. And if I'm feeling like a little irreverent, which is certainly happens, it's like I'm willing to do that. And so it's again, knowing the audience and knowing what's that line across. So for healthcare, Ethics are really important, obviously, and it's a big part of the culture. It's a big part of everything. So how do I, and then if you're working with doctors, for example, especially medical doctors, there's a certain thing, like there's things about that audience that are really helpful to know. I one time had a doctor call me and he was really happy with my agency because they made some typos. And he said, Stuart, we're surgeons. Our mistakes in our world kill people. And so when you recognize that's, that was a great, this is early on in my life, but that's a great learning lesson, right? Okay, this is the things that to other people are bummer to this crowd is different. So you, again, it's understanding that audience allows you to write with a specific voice. Ah, uh, that's great. That makes so much sense though, if you're the surgeon. Yeah. Mistakes in our world kill people. It's oh. funny because it makes what we do harder. Like writing, like when we're, our agency's working for healthcare, like you could, there are lots of agencies out there that target little niches, right? So there's people that go after nail salons and well, hair salons and beauty. The people that go after like HVAC and plumbers and, and some go after insurance companies. There's lots of niche agencies that do digital marketing for those kind of niches. And the thing about it is, if, and we recruited a guy once, he's no longer at our company, but a few years ago, that came to us from an SEO firm for insurance salesmen. And it was such a culture shock for him because in there they can write content for the sake of content. The insurance guys don't care. You can put up whatever. You can have a dancing bear in your blog post. They couldn't care less as long as it works. And it's not to be um, dismissive of insurance agents, but they don't really care. They just care, does it work? Does it bring me clients? With doctors, they're going line by line down that blog because it's their professional reputation. So that means that They may be comparing the price of getting a blog with the insurance guy agency, but the amount of effort that it takes to deliver good content is like wildly different. (laughs) It's a completely different thing. The work costs more because it has to be so much better. Anybody can write 
stuff for that nobody's proofing and nobody's giving feedback on. But in our experience, like the in healthcare, you have legal regulations, you have ethical regulations. We tend to have larger clients, so they have their own brand voice. So all those things mean that it's maybe more challenging to do it right. Nice. And so if you were to be talking to these doctors, obviously, like their line of work is dangerous, obviously, but they're also very detail oriented, high attention to detail when it comes to creating their content. But what sort of practices would you advise them not to do? Or what are some common, like, not to do things that you would, that you noticed? Not to do things in terms of for marketing for doctors in general. Is that what you mean? Or I'm not sure. Yeah. So as far as like putting content out, is there a good way yeah, or a okay, bad way yeah, to go yeah, about it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So a couple of things like doctors know this, but they still not necessarily, if they're not working with somebody who specializes in healthcare, may not know this, but things like HIPAA. So HIPAA is about not sharing personally identifiable information. It's a big law and they can get sued for it. So there, it's a... It's something they can work around, but for example, with social media, like a lot of doctors want to have organic social media because they just do. And we have to make sure that we're not disclosing inadvertently any of their personal identifiable healthcare information because it's a healthcare violation. That's a real big deal. And there's legal ramifications and all kinds of ramifications. So I would say that's an issue. I would say, let me take, make it more broad. Some of the mistakes that doctors make in general, or again, we're talking at the private practice level, no, not the sort of corporate stuff that we do more often these days, but at the lower level, and even actually the mid-level, you'd be surprised just because some of these organizations we work with may be big. That doesn't mean they're necessarily sophisticated with marketing tends to be really undervalued in healthcare. So for example, one thing is putting a lot of energy on organic social media without a larger strategy. Like organic is great. And we like, we think it's great to get lots of social media followers, but number one, it's really hard getting social media followers. And then the thing that people don't recognize is with rare exceptions, there are some exceptions, but with rare exceptions, if you have a thousand fans, for example, that doesn't mean when you post a thousand people are going to see it. <laughs> so it yeah. means like maybe 20 to 40 might see it because Facebook's algorithm doesn't show pages very well. So it takes a lot of effort to get them to them. And then even when you do, maybe two to 4% of the audience may see the post. And, so, and it's also hard to be engaging and some specialties lend themselves better than others. For example, there are plastic surgeons, like there's one female plastic surgeon out there who's really good at this. She's young, she loves it, she's really attractive. It's in her DNA. So she's at conferences, she's very glamorous. She has, by the way, nobody knows this, but two or three social media people working for her. So it looks like this is effortless, it's not. And so she's become an influence in that field. And that's really easy to talk about. And that's, so she's built a big part of her practice around that. That's really exception, right? It's like you're a urologist talking about prostate cancer. It's harder to get a big fall. So I would say that's a mistake is, you know, spending too much energy on social media when it's not really thought through. Another thing is common is the, just recognizing that marketing costs money and there's a real ROI. So at the fundamental level, there are some things in marketing and digital advertising, for example, when done well can generate a profitable ROI. And what's great about it, whether you're doing paid search or paid social programmatic or whatever, that can deliver an ROI. And so at the smaller practice level, and even the mid-sized hospital level is understanding that like it's costing 10,000 a month is not the issue. If, it's, if you're spending 10,000 a month, for example, is it making you 50? <laughs> that's what, that's the difference. So looking at it from an ROI standpoint, and then maybe the last thing I could talk all day about what not to do, but like at the hospital <laughs> level, another thing that comes down that's really common 
And I saw this change it to the hospital just to make it more interesting. What happens there is um, politics get involved. And in healthcare, everybody has it. Doctors have tons and tons of, again, they're very smart, so they all have opinions. So what happens to marketing messages at a hospital level oftentimes is either nothing gets done or becomes so watered down because everybody has. So the doctors have a vote, the marketing executives have, the CEO of the hospital may have a vote, the constituents have a vote. And it's a tough job because you're, for example, the audiences, if you're a hospital, you're marketing not just to patients, but you're marketing to the community. You're trying to establish thought leadership. You're trying to establish a brand. You're trying to market to donors. You're trying to market to the doctors. There's a lot of different things. And so... I think the sort of voting by committee in the hospital level, and then also just, again, this is not true at every hospital, but a lot of hospitals, they just don't understand the value of marketing. So the marketing people may feel like um, really unappreciated. They may not hire necessarily always the right level of marketing person because it's hard to know. How do you hire a marketing person if you never had marketing, right? You don't know what level is what. It's hard to ascertain. So that's a challenge. They're, all these people are good people, but they're doing the job. But it's just hard sometimes for a marketing person at the hospital level to get much traction because it's a really tough job. Yeah. So when you are in conversation with the marketing team at the hospital level, like how can you justify the value that in what you're doing and how are you like able to track and analyze and prove that they can get an ROI? So that's a really good question. The, first of all, the marketing department usually is like selling to the choir. They believe in it. Their job is to do marketing. So the challenge is oftentimes they don't have the ear of the CEO. Like I'm working right now with two or three smaller hospitals that reached out to us in the last week or two. And one of them in particular I'm speaking with tomorrow. And that's a great example. They'll give you a quick anecdote. So this lady came in from the Midwest. She's been recruited to the Southeast, a rural practice. She's never worked in, she's worked in healthcare before medical devices before. And, but she hasn't worked at the hospital level. And so now she's working with this rural hospital under severe competition in the Southeast. And what's cool about this story is number one, she's a long time listener to the blog, my blog, my, or my, I should read her to my blog and listen to my podcast. So she knew me. And the way it turned out was the CEO had referred her to me or referred an email we'd sent to him. And I didn't know who this uh, gentleman is, but at any rate, what was really important to that conversation was, as I was talking to her last week, I said, so do you have the CEO's ear? She said, yes, he hired me. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and that's so important because the CEO hired her means that she's not, I call it the kid's table. Like sometimes the marketing department is it's the kid's table. They're, they're subjected to, they're just not in those key decisions on the, driving a hospital forward at the practice level as well. So the fact that she has the CEO's ear and support is huge. And you know, by the way, he's coming to the meeting. We're meeting with him, I think, tomorrow. So this, the follow-up meeting will be there. That's really important is ha having the stature within the organization to have the CEO's ear for good or ill. Because if you don't, it's really hard. And that's really true, really, at any marketing job. To have leadership's ear, not just be thought of as fluffy. And then the second part of that is we'll be talking to the CEO when we speak to him about metrics and return on investment and tracking and the things that we do in the digital marketing world, which you're, a lot of your listeners are familiar with, we've been doing since really the day we started, is call tracking and helping to figure out how to do analytics and go back and report to that. That's what this, typically most CEOs are more financially driven. He or she is going to be interested in analytics and reporting and 
And then it gets into the challenge of, okay, not everything is direct response. The hospital level in particular, a lot of times we're trying to be a thought leader and build a brand for the community. So what's our mix of strategies, which are more direct response oriented and which are more branding oriented. But those are the kinds of things that are really important is understanding that marketing can have an impact. Justifying budgets is always an issue. That's uh, important as well. Awesome. And I know we got a couple minutes left, but just kind of got one more question for you before we end the interview. And it's what sort of transformation do you see your sort of customers and clients go through? Like, what, how are they feeling before and what is their situation? And then what is their life like after working with you if it was a successful sort of project? Yeah, so it's great. We see such a wide variety on the smaller end of clients. And like I said, one thing that's really cool is we still work with all levels. So while we focus a lot of energy on the larger ones, we have products for still the solo practice doctor that we figured out how to scale it. So we have them. If the at the smaller level, it depends. Sometimes they come into it very fearful, but I've never done this before. And so that's something we have to work them through. I think a big, big factor there is to set expectations appropriately. On the larger level, they're more used to marketing typically. They've done marketing before. They understand the basic rules of it a little bit easier. So it's a little bit easier to engage with. But I would say that when we, like our clients, based on the, the experience we've had, we just lost two of our clients that have been with us for 10 years, not because they fired us, but because they were acquired by a larger entity. So it's like the, both of them were, in our world, PE is a big deal. And so it's, it's bittersweet. We've done our job. They've been you know, with us for a long time. And one of those two doctors, we used to go wine tasting together. It was, it was a lot of fun with our spouses and probably we'll do it again. So the relationships we build, I think it's one of the challenges with marketing. And I'll leave you with this thought is it's often while we're building our business, it's not like a one-time, one-event thing. It's a journey over a period of years. And so there's ups and downs of any relationship. But at the end of the day, it's very satisfying. And when we have some, we have a fair number of long-term clients just like that that we're working with. And those clients are, like I said, there's ups and downs in any relationship. Because marketing's hard, right? There's risk. It moves fast. But the kind of relationships we build are just fantastic. And uh, the friendships we build. And I think that at the end of the day, they get to where they want to go. And our goal is for us to get to where we want to go. And it's just really, it's fun. And again, it's like, it just depends. And I feel like for us, the one thing that we have found possibly is our best clients, just thinking it through, are the ones that appreciate the value we bring to the table. They don't look at us as a vendor. They look at us as a partner. And I can think of one of our clients is an oncologist and he's leads a fairly large group in the Northeast. And it's that expertise. I feel like they appreciate our extra knowledge in this space. It's not just a pay-per-click company. Like we have much, much deeper. We can speak to anything in their field. And I think that just brings out really cool relationships that become friendships over time. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's excellent topic or excellent piece of advice to end today's episode on. I know you got, you got to run, but I just <laughs> want to say uh, thank you again for jumping on and sharing your knowledge and sharing what you're doing and how you're trying to provide value to the uh, healthcare industry. So Mr. Gandalf, Stuart Gandalf, just want to say thank you again for being a guest. Thank you, Ronnie. It was great being here. No problem. All right, Ronnie, I do have to go. Thank you. Do me a favor and just let me know when you post it, send me a link and I'll uh, post it on our social media and stuff too. All right. Awesome. Good deal. Hey, good luck with the podcast. That was fun. Thank you. No problem, man. Have a good one. Catch Take you guys care. on the next one. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.